if if you have a sales and marketing org that are working together and not working against one another, because I think that's what happens. You start creating this like who who's responsible for this deal? Is it sales or marketing? If you start that, then you're on the road to failure already. Hi everyone, it's Tom Abbott here. Welcome to another episode of the Selling in Asia podcast. And I am thrilled to have with us today, Andy Culligan. Now, Andy is the Chief Marketing Officer at Leadfeeder, and he's going to be sharing with us some insights into what's working for them now. So, Andy, let's start off with how you got started in sales and how you got involved with Leadfeeder. I think when I started when I was 14, I was doing, yeah, the data entry stuff. But then when I got a little bit older, I started to move into more sales roles in retail. Um, and then also, as I mentioned just there, like I started selling gym memberships on the street in December in Dublin, which is not pleasant, and only working on commission, which is again is not is not pleasant. Selling gym memberships for a thousand euros a piece, you know, and only earning commission. So I, I managed to get by though, so it worked for me. But and then um, when I that was during my university stage. So when I came out of university, I went into an SDR role. Um, so BDR, SDR, so telesales rep, whatever you want to call it. Regardless of what the name is, it's a pretty a pretty tough job and a pretty awful job. I don't think anybody really wants that job per se, but it's like it's a stage to get to the next level within within sales. You know, everybody it's like a rite of passage. You need to be an SDR or BDR in order to get to the next stage of account executive. Sure is, and you know what? It's a really important stage, and I think everybody in sales should have a crack at being an SDR. So for those of you on the podcast that don't know the terminology, that's a sales development rep is an SDR. BDR is a business development rep. Um, so they're typically the ones that are out there, they're hunting, they're prospecting, they're cold calling, they're cold emailing, they're qualifying leads, they're trying to schedule appointments and calls, and they're handing those over to an AE or an account executive. Exactly, exactly. So I, 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 I agree. I think that it's, it's a really important rite of passage, the SDR. And I honestly think that the SDR is probably one of the most important jobs in the organization. And it's just not taken seriously enough. It's, well, come on, man. They touch the customer before anybody. Absolutely. Holy absolutely. Smokes. So, Exactly. So even from, from a marketing perspective, like you might bring a lead in and it's, and let's not call it an easy job for marketing, but it's, it's, it's not bringing that thing to the next level. Whereas the SDR are bringing it to the next level. They're really the, the human line of defense after a digital line of defense from the marketing team or a digital line of attack, let's call it, to bring leads in, you know, That's they're right. the next wave. Um, and people, people don't give them enough, um, give them enough pats on the back. I think it's, it's a really tough job because you're, you're young, you're junior, you're probably not taking that seriously, but at the same time, you've got very hard targets to reach. So you're typically within tech anyway, is that SDRs would be, would be responsible for, for filling account execs, uh, calendars with meetings. So if you're not booking meetings, if you're not closing, because booking a meeting is, is a close, that's, a close. You know? that's, that's your, that's your call to action. That's your sale. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. And it's, it's not easy because nowadays trying to get true people, true to people is, is really tough, right? Yep. So you're banging down doors, you're, you're picking up the phone, you might be doing direct mail pieces, you might be sending emails, you're doing LinkedIn requests and whatnot. I mean, it's, it's very, very loud. There's very, very many different channels in which you can reach people at, but people are a little bit overwhelmed, I think, from, from the amount of outreach that they're getting, you know? Like, mm. I think I get it alone. I don't know how many cold outreach emails per week that I just, I don't even look at, you know? It's, it's, <laughs> uh, and I feel bad for it because I've worked as an SDR, I've worked with SDRs, I've managed an SDR team, and I get it, but like, it's, it's too well, much. The thing too, Andy, is a lot of them are just plain horrible. 
Oh, for sure. A lot for of them sure. are horrible, you know, and like, <laughs> I've done some podcasts. I've been on some people's podcasts and then of course on our own. And I just talk about just some of the, the worst outreach you can ever see is those people that the minute you accept their invite on LinkedIn, they drop you a proposal or they drop you a brochure or they're asking for a call. It's like, I don't even know who you are. It's uh, so one of the things that I used to tell my SDR team at my, when I ran one just previous to, to my job at Leadfeeder was, you know, when you pick up the phone or when you, you do some outreach to somebody, you have to remember that it's a human being on the other side. It's, no, you lost me, Andy. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, so, so it's, so I've been guilty of it myself as well. And I, you, you know, like I think about, okay, so look, you've got this, this is how many calls you need to make in order to, to, to get through to this many meetings. And I'm looking at it as a funnel, you know, the same, right. if, if I make this many calls and I'm going to get this many meetings and that many meetings are going to turn into this many meetings completed and this is going to turn into this amount of pipeline, et cetera, et cetera. Right? And with that, we like take away the human element completely, right. yeah, completely. <laughs> and, and all your focus on is then pick up the phone, pick up the phone, pick up the phone, send email, send email, send email. And it, it, it completely takes away from the personalization aspect of it. You don't, you don't spend the time maybe doing a little bit of research or understanding like a small piece, like what football team does that person follow, for example? Mm. Does that person have kids or not? Is there a way to find that out? You know, little things that you can connect to somebody with. Totally. Anything that could just give me a, an extra five seconds of rapport building before they hang up on me. Just something, something where they'll maybe look at that email a bit longer. They might respond to that LinkedIn message. Okay, all right. Exactly, exactly. Because nobody wants to be getting the cold outreach, you know? Nobody's right. sitting there waiting saying, oh, I hope an SDR is going to reach out to me today. You need to, <laughs> you know, so there needs to be, exactly, exactly. I've got, oh, I'm so bored, you know? Yeah. There's, there's nothing for me to do as a senior executive in a company. My inbox is that. so empty. Exactly. I've exactly. achieved zero in my inbox. Yeah, right. Exactly, exactly. So I, so, so I did that, I did that job for, for, uh, a couple of years actually and then um i i started to i then moved into a into an account executive role mm. and that was based in dublin um i grew up in ireland but i actually then moved over to vienna austria so um i i'm married so i'm married to a to a lovely austrian lady and we met we met back then and i moved to austria you know on a on uh like not thinking about it a huge amount just being like okay well let's move to austria and see how it goes mm. not with a word of german you know, I didn't speak any German. It was like I was young and in love when I said, oh, yeah, and you know, what's the worst that could happen? It was tough, tough couple <laughs> of years of trying to slog it. Then I, then I did an SDR job uh, when I first came to Austria in German. So I blagged it and said that, you know, oh, I can speak German. And I had my, like, you know, conversational German. And then I needed to do cold calling in German. Oh, my God. Which was a disaster so that <laughs> so you know i'm just picturing these like you know angry harsh german accents yelling at you on the phone i swear i you know i it it was funny because sometimes it worked so i was calling into hotels asking them to do uh, like special special offers for for retailers you know that they'd be able to use in sales promotions okay and uh the thing about the hospitality industry, you can be pretty certain that most people will be able to speak English. So I'd start off with German and, you know, I'd be, I'd be, I'd, I'd start with the German piece and then, then I'd move into, Hey, you know, I'd ask them in, in, in German, I uh, couldn't see English. So can, can you also speak English? Mm -hmm. And they, they'd say, they'd say, Oh yeah, we can. I was like, Oh, thank God. 
you know, so then, <laughs> so then so they I didn't come back the, and go, no, Sprechen die Deutsch? <laughs> some did, some did, <laughs> or many did, but there was a few that managed to, to understand me when I said, okay, let's, let's, let's move into English. And that actually kept me on board then for, 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 for quite a while, you know? Nice. Um, so I did that for a while. Um, and that was my first experience actually working from home. So it was actually for an Irish company and I was, I was based at it. Like I was just working from home remotely, but that was back in 2009 and 2009 was a very different place when it came to remote working. Um, and I'll get to remote working now in a minute for a lead feeder, but, um, that, you know, it was, it was a lot different. There wasn't the same technology available and whatnot. So it was, it was difficult. It was difficult sure. to be a remote worker back then. Wow. Um, so after that, then I, I moved into, into a marketing role, actually. So I'd studied marketing and I always wanted to be in marketing. So I, you know, I was a good salesperson, but I wanted to, I wanted to move into the marketing world. And I, I felt that I understood quite a bit from the sales perspective at that point anyway. So then I went into like a lead generation role um, and served like uh, the EMEA region with a company called Tate and Tate do like private communications networks for, um, for, for like public safety organizations, governments, police forces and whatnot. So completely different from what I'm doing today, but that was interesting. I traveled around Europe, Middle East and Africa and um, doing trade shows, a lot of lead gen activity. And during that time there, I learned a lot about uh, marketing automation. I implemented mm -hmm. their Marketo instance and then quickly oh. within the five years I was there, learned or basically became the Marketo in expert within the entire company, just self-taught. Mm. So um, I, I had some experience in email marketing. I, I built an email marketing tool in the previous organization that I was with, with, with a developer. Um, and uh, from that, that's how I got that job. And it just sort of, you know, went from there. Um, and then after five years there, I'd, I'd moved into a, a company called uh, Amarsis. And Amarsis are a marketing automation platform for B2C. So they've actually got quite a big presence in Asia. So they, um, they would be the main competitor of somebody like Salesforce Marketing Cloud in, in mm. Asia. Um, well, Salesforce is one of our biggest customers. So uh, thanks for coming on, Andy. We're going to have to cut this <laughs> podcast short. Uh, we're just going to blurt out that Amersis uh, reference there. No problem. <laughs> That's all right. It just beep it out. Beep it out. You know? yeah. um, now, so Salesforce also a fantastic solution, I must say. Um, yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I, I, uh, back then, so I, I moved into um, a demand generation role with Amarsis. And that was my start of in, in the tech space, I'd say, in the MarTech space. And that was back in 2015. Um, and, uh, yeah, with, with those guys, I'd built out then on, like, the, the marketing department along with the CMO and built, they were in a real transition phase we just gotten the first round of funding mm -hmm. uh, like VC funding we've been privately funded beforehand we got um, during the time that I was there we got 80 million euros in funding uh, across a couple of different rounds so with that I was able to make a ton of mistakes so pe if people ask <laughs> you know what's the best thing about VC money is VC money allows you to make you know some uh, some mistakes let's call it but allows you to test a lot of things right so back then, I, I, um, we, we, like the CMO at the time was very open to testing things, and I, I think it's really important as a CMO to do so. Um, but uh, we, we managed to, have, to, to grow at the same time. So we didn't make too many mistakes, but we made a ton. Um, but with that, it helped me to learn a huge amount. So I wouldn't be where I am today without making those mistakes back early on then in my career back in, back in tech, right? Mm. Um, 
So within that time that I was there, I built out um, a global demand generation team, uh, which was very, very closely aligned with the sales organization there because we were responsible for creating the opportunities that you know, go into the pipeline of the sales work. So we had opportunity targets on a weekly, monthly basis, uh, quarterly basis, and we also had revenue targets, which I built out then with the, with the CSO and the CMO, so the chief sales officer and the chief, uh, chief marketing officer. Um, well, that's and that was my Eddie. You know, yeah. let, let's not let that hang and we'll go deeper in a moment, but I just want to point out for the listeners. So you were in demand gen and you had revenue targets. Yeah. So yeah. that, that's interesting because not a lot of folks in, you know, marketing, uh, have any kind of revenue targets. So I think that's interesting just to know, we'll probably circle back to that later on. For sure. I, so I, I think that's the most important thing in a marketing organization at the moment. Um, if, if you're not thinking, so if you're not thinking revenue, then you're not going to be aligned with your sales organization. If you're not aligned with your sales organization, the marketing organization won't be taken seriously. The sales organization will go off, do their own thing, the marketing organization, another, and then basically it's just a waste of resource. You know, you've got this gap in the middle, which isn't being filled and the message the sales org are going out with and the message the marketing org are going out with don't match. Right. And then you end up with confusion on the customer side. So it's 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 not good. It's not an efficient way to run. Um, but yeah, like it's it's it, that's that's probably the most important thing to me is is making sure that they that they have that alignment between between marketing and sales from a revenue perspective. And yeah, I, I think if you if you're focused on revenue, then as a marketing person or somebody in the marketing org, you're going to be chasing after the things that are going to drive revenue rather than chasing after things which are, you know, nice to have. So like you see a lot of marketing teams doing things like, hey, this is, this is a, a nice to have here. Let's say, for example, nowadays, one thing that I'm noticing is that a lot of companies are doing podcasts, right? Now I'm on a podcast now and it, it works. Don't get me wrong. Podcasts are great and I think, I think they work, but I see a lot of organizations just doing them because, oh, everybody else is doing a podcast quickly. Let's do a podcast. <laughs> and if for, for, for me, uh, I wouldn't do it because I uh, it it doesn't it doesn't it may not work for me you know it's it's so I, I see it from our side like a podcast wouldn't drive revenue for, for for our perspective from a sales perspective therefore I wouldn't personally do it but that doesn't mean to say like for for you Tom I see the podcast adding a lot of value to what you do mm-hmm. for example so it it doesn't work for everybody but I see organizations like in my previous my previous industry running podcasts and I just go I say this this just doesn't work. I'm asking myself, why are you doing a podcast if, it, if it's not going to be driving the revenue that you're desiring? I just Well, don't and that's probably it. a question that they should have asked themselves from a strategic mm. perspective before going on that, you know, initiative to have a podcast. For sure. For sure. That's, that's the thing. So that's just a small example. But following, so following the, the time of Amarsis, then I moved into a more senior role with a company called Exponia. We were the direct competitor of Amarsis. Again, the marketing automation cloud space. I was there for, for uh, almost two years. And we, so that the company was considerably smaller than Amarsis when I joined. So a uh, scale-up organization when I first joined, it was uh, you know, below 5 million in, in ARR, so in annual recurring revenue. Then when I left, um, we'd, we'd grown the business up to just over 15 million ARR in the space of two years. So, um, you know, there was very, very high growth. Um, the marketing team grew from like 10 people up to 50 people, wow. including the SDR team, which I took under me as well. Mm. And, you know, there was uh, quite a lot of growth there. And it got to the stage where I said, okay, I'm maybe- So, sorry, let me pause a minute there. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. okay. so you, 
you in your role as, as the CMO, the chief marketing officer, then took the SDRs under you and reporting yeah. to you. Yeah, so what happened, it's like a really simple, like it's, it's funny how it happened. So we had a senior leadership meeting and I was a VP marketing there and VP of sales. So we had a, we had a CEO and then a VP there. So we didn't, we didn't necessarily have a C, a C level. But um, so it was myself, just the VP of sales and the CEO and all the rest of the VPs were having like an offsite leadership meeting, right? And with that offsite leadership meeting, it was like we were talking about, okay, we need to reinvent how we're doing sales at the moment and whatnot. The sales, the VP sales had quite a lot of things on his list, okay? So I said to him, you know, you've got quite a lot of things on your list there. Do you really want to take like the kindergarten of the organization on as well? <laughs> and he's like, no, I really don't. You know, I need to, I need to focus on, because we were enterprise sales, right? You're selling, you've got large uh, annual deal sizes, right? So you're looking at probably like a uh, hundred, a hundred thousand euros per deal per year, right? So, so not, not, not small. Um, and you're, you know, you're, you've got these enterprise sales cycles as well that you're trying to deal with. So I said, look, let me do you a favor. Let me take on the SDRs. I've got experience as being an SDR myself. Um, and we could take it from there. And he said, all right. So it, the way it happened was we were in the meeting. I wrote it down on a napkin. Should I take the SDRs? Pushed it over to him. And he just wrote yes. And I took it back and I said, okay, that's me taking the SDR. So that's how I made the decision to take over an SDR team. <laughs> that is probably the easiest sale in history. There you go. There you go. You know, like it was that. a... A bit like a mafia movie in a way, you know, we're all sitting around this table, you know, and we're writing things down on, on <laughs> exactly, I'm pushing it across the table, yeah. but yeah, was, and that's, that's how I started off in the SDR journey with, with Exponia, and honestly, it was, it was challenging, it was very challenging, but at the same time, it was, uh, it was, it was very, very rewarding, you know, uh, dealing with a young team and helping them build out their careers in sales and marketing, finding like a, a pathway forward for each one of those guys, building those, uh, building those pathways for them along with the guys was something that was, you know, something I really enjoyed. Like you have people from all different types of backgrounds. You had different struggles, different, you know, uh, different things going on at home and different things. So it was, it was like a social activity as well, you know, mm -hmm. like from, from my perspective, like looking after those guys, they, they're all young. They're all maybe 20, 21, not a huge amount of experience. They're all looking to gain a lot of experience, but all very hungry to move on to the next level. How do you like, how do you balance that? How do you like show them the pathway forward and whatnot? I, it was something that added an extra layer to the marketing team from my perspective, which was quite interesting. And I wanted to have, them there as well because I didn't want any dropout from the leads we were generating. So typically what happens is, and a lot of marketing orgs will give out about this, is like, oh, I'm bringing in lots of leads and the sales team are just not even looking at them or the sales team are saying, oh, they're not good or whatever, you know? And I wanted the control there to have the second wave of, of, of attack or defense, whatever you want to call it, as the SDR team so that the SDR team would be taking on those leads that I would be getting from my marketing org, handing them across to them. And I, I wouldn't accept hey, these aren't good leads. Because mm. I'm, I'm like, we're doing account-based marketing here. We're, we're targeting the accounts which are of interest to you, you know, which we have in our total addressable market already. How can you tell me that they're not interesting leads? Right, exactly. So, so you know, it, that helped quite a lot. So, so, so I think perspective, that's, yeah. Yeah, I, I love that, Andy. So, you know, you use the, the, the word perspective and you've got a very unique perspective. So, you know, you started your career really as an SDR, BDR, moved up, did AE, and then now, you know, more of a demand gen 
marketing CMO role. So you've seen the whole thing. So I can see why you have this, this perspective around having this alignment between sales and marketing. Can you talk about that a little bit more, Andy? Absolutely, absolutely. So um, this is probably the most important thing from, from my perspective um, in any role that I'm doing is that there's a certain alignment between, or there's a one-to-one -one alignment between the marketing and sales organization. So um, marketing and sales uh, should be acting as one. So from my perspective, it's, uh, just bear with me one second. I, I've got a, a four-year-old that's knocking around out here, blowing a party popper in the background. No worries. <laughs> the joys, the joys of uh, family life and, and remote working. At that, the moment, that's you know? what it's all I about, think man. Everybody's, everybody's in the same boat. She's, uh, she's running around in the background, just blowing a party popper, but I think yeah, she's good. Now. It's all good. But, I'm, I'm just surprised <laughs> that my boys haven't kicked my door down yet. <laughs> it happens. It happens. <laughs> but uh, so, so marketing and sales alignment, I think that there is, um, um, so uh, with the marketing and sales alignment piece, um, for example, myself and Yako, who's our CRO, our chief revenue officer, um, speak probably like 10 times a day. So any decision that's being made from a, a sales perspective is also being passed by me. And anything that's coming from a marketing perspective is also being passed by him. So there's, there's one thing and like we were trying to put our finger on it in terms of what actually is the key thing that determines marketing and sales alignment and it's a dependency on one another. So marketing rely on sales and sales rely on marketing. And then, uh, unless you create that reliance or dependency across both teams, then you're going to start drifting apart. So, so when I first joined lead feeder, it was, there was a certain level of, of sales and marketing alignment, but it wasn't the same level as it is now. And what's changed really has been, I've gotten my guys to make sure that if they're running marketing campaigns, that they're running them past the sales leaders first or the sales org or anybody in the sales org. Previously, what would happen is stuff would just go out. Right. And then the salespeople would be the last people to find out about it. <laughs> yep. You know, and, and that what happens with that is then you, you misalign a little bit um, in terms of a message, perhaps because salespeople yep. are at the cold front, you know, they're at the, they're, they're at the front of, they're at the front line. They're, they're um, at the cold face and they're the ones that are speaking with customers on a day in day out basis. Marketing aren't, you know, put it out there. Marketing don't speak with customers. I'd be surprised if a marketer speaks with a customer once a quarter, you know, mm -hmm. um, and they, they can give you true insights in terms of what will, what will resonate with the customer base. So typically what I do is when we're doing any content cycle or anything, I'll speak to a salesperson and say, Hey, what do people want to read about? Like, does I have this list? Does this actually make sense to you as a salesperson? And they'd say, yes, no, here's some suggestions, whatever. So what you're doing there automatically is you're opening the door to sales and allowing them to influence the marketing message, which will also then help push forward and bring in the leads that they're looking to bring in. And what you're doing with that as well is you're populating the pipeline. If you go to a salesperson and say, hey, I'm going to populate 60% populate of your pipeline, you're going to see pretty quick alignment there. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so so that's, 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 how, that's how we do it. But at the same time, I think the main message that, I, that I, I think to give other marketers or salespeople is if you want to get marketing and sales alignment, make sure that it happens at the top first. So the two, the two at the top, CMO, CRO, CSO, Chief Sales Officer, Chief Revenue Officer, Chief Marketing Officer, whatever those commercial roles are, make sure that their targets are aligned. So do marketing have a, have a revenue target? If not, then create one. 
do it in line with the sales org. Make sure that both of the guys at the top or both of the ladies at the top or whatever um, are, are well aligned there in terms, of, in terms of targets and say, hey, I'm going to help you reach that and you're going to help me reach that. And with that, you're basically bringing the two departments together as one, as one organization rather than two separate pieces that are, that are moving in a different direction. And with that, it starts to trickle down. So then you'll have different people in the marketing org going back over to the sales org, asking them questions and vice versa. So um, <clears throat> I think that from my side is the most, is, is the most important thing from, a, from an alignment perspective. So I think that's really great, Andy. And you know, we, <clears throat> you, you've talked about having uh, some revenue targets for, 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 for the marketing team. Now, we all know that uh, marketing should have some targets and some KPIs. Uh, most, many don't, but those that do probably are around, you know, impressions and visits and all this kind of stuff. How does an organization start setting revenue goals for marketing? So when I uh, first, first come in to, to an organization that doesn't have those as, as a revenue as a goal. So I, I, when I first joined Exponia, revenue wasn't a goal of the marketing team. I asked them, okay, so tell me what your results have been over the past whatever year. And I've been given the, the, the vanity metrics, I call them as, as what you just said. Hey, we've got next amount of impressions on our ads. And we've got these amount of clicks. And I was like, okay, that's, you know, nice. Look how many likes on our Facebook page. Exactly. Exactly. Is that or we just revenue? won this award by the marketing association. <laughs> exactly. 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 You know, it's, uh, to me, that's, to me, that's, the old school thing in marketing where people come to the marketing team and say, Hey, a business run is coming up. We need you to do the t-shirts, you know? And I, if, if anybody do it, like that's, that's what I want to avoid. You know, that's, that's exactly what I'm trying to avoid from a marketing organization is, Hey, they're the team that goes and paints pretty pictures and does the t-shirts for the next business run, you know? Um, so I, so the one thing that I'd say to people is, is, and I, I use this quite often is, you know, uh, Use the use the, the the kiss way of doing things. Kiss, keep it simple, stupid. Yeah. You know that's that's for for me personally. That's the most important thing is is really trying to keep it really simple. So start off by building out a funnel, and you know when I say a funnel, you start off down the very bottom and look at okay, what's our average order size? So when we close a deal, what's what's the average? Is it hundred k? Is it ten k? Is it ten euros? Whatever, whatever it might be, ten dollars, whatever. Based off of that, is said okay. In order for us to get there, how many pipeline opportunities do we need to open? Okay, what's our conversion rate between both of those things? So if I open up 25 opportunities, am I going to close five? You know, um, or am I going to, so if I open up 20, am I going to close five? That would give me a 25% conversion rate between open opportunity then to, to five new customers. Okay, and start there. And then what you need to do is build it back up from there. So you say, okay, in order for us to get that amount of opportunities, then how many meetings do we typically have to book? Well, so based on the based on the knowledge I already have, you'd probably be able to find out out that information. Like, how many meetings do I need to book? And then um, you should probably have a layer in between there, saying how many meetings do you actually get completed out of the meetings that you book. So that's exactly. an additional layer for SDRs or for salespeople. So that if you put a, put a meeting in the calendar, what's the likelihood of that actually happening? Right? right. So it's an additional thing where you where you can measure and you can improve on the conversion rate. And then from there, you get into the more marketing focused stuff, which is around sales qualified leads, marketing qualified leads. And around that, the tips that I give to people is like, again, keep it simple. Like keep it really simple in terms of what a marketing qualified lead. What is it? It could be as simple as, hey, it's, it's, a, it's a target job title a tar from a target industry. And that's a marketing qualified lead. 
sales qualified lead could go to the next stage if you know that they're in a buying cycle or if they're using a competitor technology, for example. Then you know that they're sales qualified and then you hand it over to the sales team. It's just an extra layer of qualification. Um, and what at the start of doing that for the for the top layer of the funnel, so sales qualified, marketing qualified leads, probably what you're gonna have to do is make some assumptions. Okay, mm -hmm. you're gonna have to make some assumptions in terms of what are good conversion rates. You should take a look into it from your industry. But like typically, like if we're looking at overall lead to marketing qualified, or let's call it marketing qualified, then to sales qualified, you should be looking at sort of like 40% of the marketing qualified leads that you're bringing in should be turning to sales qualified. So that means that, you know, you're, if, if you're aiming for 40%, like 40, 40, 60 is, is, is a pretty good percentage to be looking at there. So 60% are unqualified and 40% are qualified. And if you, if you go over that number, then great. But mm. again, um, you should be making that very well known within the sales organization as well. So one thing that, one tip that I give to people is that, you know, a sales team come to me and if somebody from sales comes, oh, the marketing leads are crappy. They're not good. They're not good leads. And I said, well, what percentage of leads are we talking about here? Oh, probably like 50% of the leads I get aren't good. And I said, that's brilliant. That's fantastic, you know? Because <laughs> you mean, I'm aiming- You mean half of the leads you're getting are great? That's awesome. Exactly. exactly. As I said, you know, best practice would, be, would mean that, you know, only 40% of the stuff that you're getting is great, right? So, yeah. so you know, I, I, so, and then said, ah, okay, that's interesting. Right. So, you know, you, you play with these numbers a little bit, but again, I think uh, like make some assumptions at the top of the funnel, you know, the stuff down the bottom and then just start working towards bringing in leads that are going to be focused on each layer there. So what you do is then you come up with different marketing initiatives where you know, Hey, these are going to bring sales qualified leads. So it could be, for example, one-to-one -one meeting events. If you're in enterprise sales, one-to-one -one meeting events are great because you get the, you get the list of companies and list of lists of people that are attending prior to the event. And you may already have like, you may have a, a, a quota of 10 meetings that are going to be fulfilled at that event by the event organizer. And they're basically doing matchmaking. So you say, I want to speak with that person from that company. And therefore you'll already have 10 sales qualified leads, mm. you know, and then you might want to do more top of funnel stuff, which is lit, which is less expensive, which would be driving marketing qualified leads would be maybe content strategy. So if I, if I create this specific type of content and I have a, 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 a contact us um, form on that page, then that will automatically then help, you know, drive more marketing qualified leads and so on. And you come up with different marketing strategies for each layer of the funnel. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool, Andy. So would you say when we're looking at, you know, having these revenue goals for the marketing team, mm -hmm. those revenue goals are, are closely aligned. They're, they're tied with the overall revenue goals for the sales team. Am I understanding oh, that or did I miss something? Sure. No, nope, for sure. For sure. So, it's so basically you're starting both own that target. Is, is that right? That's right. That's right. Got it. So what the way that I do it is, um, is again, you're starting up at the, at, at top level leadership and you're getting the C levels or VP layer, whatever the top level is to speak with one another and make an agreement. So in previous organizations, the agreement has been, Hey, marketing will be able to provide you with 70% of the pipeline or 70% of the, of, mm. of, uh, of your revenue goals. So when marketing and SDRs come together, I would, I would promise 70%. So I'd say, okay, look, 70% of the stuff that's going to come in this year is going to come from the, the marketing org, right? Because it's either been SDR touch, it's been touched by a marketing, by, by a marketing source. Um, mm. People tend to, to get a little bit deep into the bushes when it comes to uh, attribution. So how do I attribute this particular opportunity? The, the answer to that is there is no good way of doing attribution. Okay. <laughs> right. There is, 
Because you don't know. Look, when you look in a CRM and there, you've got that tab there, lead source, it's like um, all of the above, most of the above. I mean, there have been so many different touch points. It's like, where, where, did you where did you first hear about us? It's like, dude, I don't know. Exactly. Exactly. I couldn't agree more. So I think um, it's, it's any, any And is that even the right sale? question, right? Because no. if, if the answer is, look, we believe that an omni-channel approach is most effective, then isn't that question, it's a moot point. For sure. For sure. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think so companies that are really concerned about attribution are the companies that aren't doing well in terms of revenue. <laughs> so that's, <laughs> if you're really concerned about attribution, then something's going wrong because you're not growing. Right. Mm. So in, instead, maybe look at your overall customer acquisition costs and include sales, marketing, everything that it costs to acquire a customer. Yeah. And then, Look at hey, am, am I is my is my CAC to, my customer acquisition cost ratio to to lifetime value of those customers is it way too high? For example, then I know I need mm. to do something about my marketing efforts and my sales efforts, perhaps, right? Um, and then when you know, hey, you know my 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 customer acquisition cost to, to lifetime value that ratio is looking pretty healthy. Let's go dig in to see which channels are are pushing the most leads from, right? But mm -hmm. typically, if unless you're selling, like somebody I used to work with say, hey, you know, when we were selling, we were doing enterprise sales, it's like, we're not selling bubble gum here. You know, it's, it's a complex sales cycle that typically has six to 10 decision makers. Those six to 10 decision makers are all different personas. You're going to have them across different layers within an organization. Somebody might get, might be met in an event where somebody might download something or a salesperson might have reached out to something. Let's all work together to bring in those yeah. accounts. Let's not worry about like who to attribute to. I'll marketing one that account. You know, at the end of the day, like what I would just wanted to see when I was when I had the SDR team was like, has there been a touch from an SDR on it? If mm. marketing has touched it, SDR has definitely touched it. You know, then mm. we'd know that it was somewhat sourced from the marketing and SDR work. But I wouldn't be looking in too intrinsically what was the key thing that made them make that decision. And sometimes it's, it's so tricky because, you know, we, we just had a, a real life situation like this uh, earlier this week where we're doing some outbound right now and we reached out to a number of people and there was, uh, we, we, we went after, you know, two or three people within one particular company. We got an email back from one of them saying, we're not interested. And then the following day, we received an email from another person from that company inquiring about our, our services, right? And then I think, if I'm not wrong, one of those people who's, who replied not interested ended up being in the meeting. And now we're starting to, you know, advance things. So you just never know. You know, you, you got to hit people up different ways and, 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 and you never know what's going to happen. I fully agree. I think, look, as I said, if, if you have a sales and marketing org that are working together and not working against one another, because I think that's what happens. You start creating this, like who, who's responsible for this deal? Is it sales or marketing? If you start that, then you're on the road to failure already, because then you're, you're automatically pulling the two teams away from one another because right. it's almost turning into a competition because you're saying to salespeople, Hey, you should be populating pipeline. You should be creating your own deals and marketing should be creating that amount of deals. And it, it gets a little bit, uh, it creates a friction between the two teams. So, it does. Mm -hmm. so from my perspective, I think it's, it's just good to, to try to concentrate on that alignment piece 
And then with alignment piece, everything is just going to start dropping in together. Like it's, I love that. You know, the key thing being alignment and, you know, without getting too hierarchical or org structure here, it's almost like at the end of the day, what we're talking about is revenue. Yeah. Okay. We're just talking about revenue. Mm -hmm. And in the same way that you might have, you know, uh, sales that has, you know, SDRs and AEs and maybe some, um, uh, uh, you know, key account managers in the same way, you know, you know, people, we're all on the same team here, sales. Isn't the relationship between these three people on the sales team perhaps similar to the relationship between the sales and the marketing team as it relates to uh, revenue? For sure. They're For just sure. two different roles to achieve the same goal. Absolutely. Uh, so, so they're, they're both commercial teams. So that's, that's the thing. And it should be just one commercial org. Right. Okay. So that's, very, that's a very interesting perspective. So, you know, you, you talked about uh, that you've been remote working for, you know, a lot of your, your working life. So what have you noticed has changed in remote working, uh, you know, from the time that you started to, you know, where we're at today? Okay. Um, so I, so I've been doing, yeah, as you said, I've been doing some level of remote work for the past uh, 10 years or so, uh, or 11 years. And at the start, I think the, the one assumption that a lot of people have, and I told them that I, that I worked remotely, or it wasn't even called remote work back then. It was called working from home. And working from home then was like, oh, you're just not working. Right. You know, like anybody that worked from home is like, oh, you know, you've been out and you've had a couple of beers the night before, so you're working from home tomorrow. I get it. And I said, like, no, 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 I'm actually, I'm actually working. I said, like, right. oh yeah, sure. You're sitting there in your pajamas. No, but what do you do all day? <laughs> exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So I, you know, that, that was like more than I did in the office. I'll tell you that. For sure. Because you have this level of anxiety as well, that you're trying to prove yourself that you actually <laughs> are working because mm -hmm. that wasn't only the assumption of friends and family and different things. It was also the assumption of people that were leading you, you know? Because it typically wasn't a thing that was done back in, 20, in 2009 was to work from home, right? At least not in the tech space or whatever. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, you had to, you, I felt like I had to justify the fact that I was working from home by like proving that I can get my number and whatever, you know? Right. Um, which brought in an extra layer of anxiety. And so I, I did that for a couple of years. And I, at the end of it, I was like, oh, I can't be doing this anymore. So then I went back to office work. Right, and Andy, it, it's, it's, it's also just a, a, a huge mindset shift among leaders because sure. they don't know how to manage someone remotely, right? For They're sure. used to saying, hey, if I see Andy in the office every day, then I know he's working. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. So they just don't know what to do with you when you're not in the office. So that's where, you know, clear communication with you know, targets and KPIs and specific goals and checking in all this kind of stuff. So it's, it's exactly. uh, interesting. I think, I think from that perspective back then I wasn't leading anybody, but I knew from my own boss that he would, didn't trust me, you know, that uh, he'd be picking up the phone a couple of times a day. So what are you working on right now? And I'm, you know, uh, <laughs> which is de demotivating for, for any employee really. Sure. I think, I think the most important thing about remote work is trust. So that when you're hiring somebody, you need to be hiring somebody that you know that you can trust. Like I, I'll only hire somebody where I have a good feeling about, obviously, but also somebody that I know that, you know, you've got responsibility to, to look after your own stuff here. You're going to be independent and you have to get on with things. If you're not, then, you know, you've broken our trust and you've broken our agreement. But since I've started, you know, in the past three or four years, I've 
or five years almost, I've been doing some level of remote working um, at Exponia. I'm, our offices were located in a different country. So actually in Slovakia and I'm based in Vienna, so in Austria. So what I do is I drive there three days a week, drive there and back in three days and then typically work from home two days a week, which was mm. exhausting, but it worked, you know, with a mix of, you know, home office and different things. And now with, with Leadfeeder, actually, we're a fully remote company. So we've got, you know, we've got about 85 employees globally and, and 70 or so are, are, um, are remote. So, you know, th- that's the vast majority. So um, with that, like the company's always been built that way. And I, I honestly think it's been sorry, built Andy, for and success. By, and by remote, sorry, by remote, are they remote globally or what does that look yeah. like? Everywhere. So everywhere. So, um, like how many different like, countries would you say? Oh, that's a very good question. That's a very good. So at least like 20. Wow. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, it's super interesting because, uh, I find it, it breaks down barriers for employment. You know, if you want to hire people, you can hire the best people that are located anywhere. Right. Just so the with best that, people. Exactly. That's what you focus on. I want on the, the best people. Exactly. Exactly. So, what you can do with that is is um, is is first of all, it's it the cost of doing business is a lot cheaper because you don't have overheads for offices, and then at the same time, the the cost of employing people is a lot cheaper as well, because you're not hiring out of big cities typically. You're hiring out of places where people are based remotely themselves. A lot of people don't mm. want, especially at the moment, people don't want to be based in big cities. Mm. So, um, you manage to you manage to get you know. Um, people that are, are very highly qualified and maybe wouldn't, you know, don't want to work in the city, but they get to work from home and we get those people for a little bit cheaper as well. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's the thing, you know? So, so I, I, um, it, it's really set us up for, for really hiring the best people. I think that's probably the best way to put it. And everybody trusts one another to get the job done. Like I don't have anybody on my team that I feel as though they're, they're slacking or they're, they're, they're not, they're not picking up their weight. You know, everybody has a job to do and, uh, I, I think everybody's doing it, you know? Mm. I love that. So what are some of the tools that you use? I mean, I mean, we talk about trust is so important. So, I mean, what are some of the essential tools that people need basically to, to do sales effectively remotely? Sure. So uh, Slack is important. Love it. So for internal communication, so we, we use Slack here. Um, we also use our own our own product, so so we use Leadfeeder uh, from from an external sales perspective. So in that in that perspective, we eat our own dog food, um, so we use that. And then you know, I I I don't think you need any. You don't need to do massive investments in technology in order to in order to get the most out of what you have. Um, I've I've been at companies where there's been huge investments in tech, and at companies where there's not so big investments in tech. Um, I think that the most important important part is is to keep your tech stack low. So don't try to have too many tools which are trying to get talking to one another. Mm. Um, like start off small. So like we we have our own database and whatnot. We use PipeDrive as our CRM. We're very happy with PipeDrive. Um, uh, like I've used Salesforce before in the past as well. Also an excellent CRM, but it's not so affordable for smaller companies. You know. Um, so um, I think it's important that whatever way you're using your tech, so for internal communication, Slack, for your CRM tool, the most important thing is that you make sure that you have somebody managing that CRM tool so that it doesn't get messy. So you want to make sure that your data is consistent and that's, that people aren't going in creating their own fields or that there's a process in place 
for people to be actually able to use the CRM effectively and making sure that all data is clean within there. So the sales team are following a list of rules. Here's your rule book. Here's how to, how, here's how to use a CRM. It applies for marketing and sales. Make people sure creating new contact records instead of doing a search to see if they're already in there. 100%. 100%. Exactly. Oh, pet peeves. Exactly. I, so CRMs can get really messy really quick and you need to have a police force behind it. <laughs> so it's, it's, <laughs> it's really important to have that. I think um, from an, uh, so, so from an outbound perspective, if you're doing outreach, there's a couple of tools you can use sales cadencing tools that have worked well with me and have worked well in the past sales loft, sales view, those types of tools. But again, I think if you're in um, if you're in a sales role, the most important thing is if you are using a sales cadence and tool that you're you're still offering additional layers of uh, personalization in there, mm. which are probably fueled from tools like LinkedIn Sales Navigator. Mm. So Sales Navigator would be a top tool for most sales teams to have. If you don't have it, I would recommend to get it immediately because it allows you to do that further research on the prospects that you're doing your outreach to, and that's it really. Like I wouldn't I wouldn't go massive on tech stack. Um, we're using an email marketing tool. We're using Active Campaign. Again, it's not breaking the bank, and it does the job that we're asking for. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, if you're doing webinars like what we do, um, our, you know, we're using currently, um, uh, we're using LiveStorm for webinars. Again, not breaking the bank, and it does the job. Um, and yeah, so you guys are using Zoom, Zoom webinars then. Um, so we're transitioning at the moment. Let's say. Mm, okay. So we're transitioning over to Zoom. Um, we just, we have some discussions around the privacy elements to it. So mm. that's, that's something that, that we're looking at, but you know, we, so from our perspective in Europe, it's, uh, whenever you sign with a new vendor, you just need to make sure that everything is, is all the I's are dotted and all the T's are crossed from a GDPR perspective. Right. So every vendor that we sign on with, we just need to make sure we have a data processing agreement, et cetera, et cetera. So we're, we're coming to the end of that now with zoom. But it's it's important. It's it's good that we have that in place. It it's it's um, from a marketing perspective, it can uh, it can be frustrating. Just GDPR generally can be frustrating because it slows. It feels sometimes that it slows down progress. Mm. But it's important that it's done because the privacy laws are are there for a reason. They're for really sure. important. Um, and yeah, it's, from my perspective, I've been I've been working in the the German speaking realm for quite a number of years now. And, and this has basically been best practice anyway for maybe the past 10 years. So, so it's, it's, it's not too new, but yeah, so we're moving to zoom soon. I hope. <laughs> okay. Very cool, Andy. So um, I guess, you know, one, one last thing before we wrap up, I think a lot of our, our listeners would be interested to know, you know, it's been some really challenging times the last few months and, uh, you know, things are hopefully turning a corner and things are starting to look better. But I mean, it could be quite some time before there's a full recovery and who knows when and if that's going to happen. But certainly we're in a new normal for lack of a better term and things have changed. So what are you seeing right now, Andy, that's, that's working for sales reps out there? Okay. So, um, we're starting to see growth. So, so it's, it's, uh, it's really interesting at the moment. Um, it was, you know, I think the initial panic, let's call it, um, of mid-March is now well behind us. Mm-hmm. And I think people are just focused on getting, on, on moving on and getting back to business. You know, that's, that's the first point I want to note. Um, I think at the same time, globally, though, we're in a situation now where we're still all very much on pause. And everybody's still like, okay, what's going to happen when everything goes back to normal, let's call mm-hmm. it, is, is like what businesses are going to fall out from that, et cetera, et cetera. But in terms of things, 
things that work from a, a sales perspective is do something. Okay, so this is like, this is something that, again, this is keeping it simple, stupid, is do something. Because at the moment, like prior to COVID-19, uh, I used to get like 50 cold emails, cold LinkedIn requests, cold calls, whatever a week. Mm. Now I'm getting like zero. Mm. Like people aren't, people are afraid to do outreach right now. You know, people, people aren't. They just uh, want to be sensitive. Exactly, exactly. exactly. So and, ridiculous. You know, exactly and people are sitting there doing the research like buyers are sitting at home doing research looking at hey what can i purchase or yeah. what am i gonna what am i gonna buy towards the end of the year when this when we get out of this you know so people are in the buying mindset already it might be early on and larger projects may have been put on hold but i'm also hearing from other like enterprise solutions and i spoke with a guy yesterday who's selling an enterprise solution a cdp so customer data platforms and to large brands right they sell it into retailers and their deal sizes would be a minimum of 100K per year. Mm. And he said, actually, their business has started to speed up. Sales cycles have started to, 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 to speed up, you know? Mm. And my, because my initial question was, hey, you know, have things been put on hold? Are people freezing budget? He said, no, quite the opposite. People are starting to spend. So I was, okay, that's great. And he said, actually, their sales cycle has gotten quicker. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Another good one. So absolutely. So um, I think, look, the most important piece of, advice that I can give to people, salespeople in particular right now, and even marketers for certain extent, just do something, pick up the phone, start doing outreach, you know, start doing that extra bit of research on people. Like people are at home all the time now. Like that little bit of, out, a bit of research I told you about, does a person have kids or not? You know, do they like, you know, what, what's the thing that they're missing out on? As I said, do they support a football team and they haven't been able to watch their football team play? Start with that conversation, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, I spoke with a, a good you know colleague of mine there the past week a guy called michael hansen who's a who's a sales coach in the uk and he did some research with a couple of clients and he's actually seen in the past six weeks connect from linkedin from cold calling from emails have gone up massively so from emails i think that the the, the chances of it actually getting a connect nowadays are like 14 times greater than at the start of march mm. so you know this is the time to do it for sure. It you won't know, last. It won't last because once everybody starts doing it again, it's going to get noisy again. But right. I think it's super quiet right now. And yeah. now's the time to start doing outreach. Sure is. And you know, it's so frustrating. I mean, as a sales speaker and a sales trainer, I want to see activity. Like I, I, I reward that. I like it when someone calls me. I like it when someone drops me an email. Sometimes whether I like it or not, I'll reply back going, mm, this wasn't that good, but you know, good job. Keep it up. But um, look, what, what we're seeing on, on our side is um, a lot of people are just sitting back and just having a wait and see attitude. But this yeah. is the time for people to double down on their sales and marketing activities. Um, you know, ad rates are going down, Google rates are down, Facebook ads are cheaper. You can reach more people with the same budget that you did before. Um, it's not as cluttered, it's not as busy, it's not as noisy as it was before. So pick up the phone. In the last three months, I've gotten one phone call from a hotel, one hotel. Now look, they haven't been able to have any guests, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't be working your butt off right now to try to fill some pipeline. Build your pipeline. 100%. Build your pipeline. Let's go make some calls, drop some emails, connect with people. Like this is the time to do it. So look, yeah. I mean, I applauded them for reaching out. I said, look, I don't have an interest. Now, first of all, their pitch on the phone was horrible. It was the worst, <laughs> the worst. 
But I said, you know, look, good job reaching out. At least I can still remember the name of the hotel because they were the only ones that reached out to me. So when things open up more, I'll be like, okay, you know, maybe this hotel is one that we could look at. For sure. For sure. I think so. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head there. Is it's just uh, start building pipeline because what's going to happen is in six months time, you're going to be like, oh, no, I should have I should have started picking up the phone. Right. I should have started doing something. You that know? was the perfect, perfect time, right? So look, I always tell people at the end of the day, you're, you're, you know, there's a direct connection between today's efforts and tomorrow's rewards. It's as simple as that. In three months time, and you're just like, you know, where am I not, why, why haven't I hit my number? It's because you didn't do anything three to six months ago. Absolutely. I think, so even when this, the, the COVID crisis started, the marketing team, you know, were asking me, hey, should we just like, you know, hold out and, and see see how it goes? And I said, no, let's let's start like producing more content. Let's start doing more things. Let's start doing the more like more frequently. So we started doing webinar brand awareness. Get out there. We're here. We're open for business. Absolutely. So what you're doing is you're creating a connection. They may not purchase today or tomorrow to to go to your point but they may purchase in three months from now. They may not be looking to put their hand in the pocket right now, but in two months from now, they might be. And we're starting to see that now. So I think on the, the third week of March, um, it's actually funny. So I think Trump closed the borders in the US around the 16th, 17th of March or so. And I had a, fr- a friend or a colleague from another company that does direct mail. He's a founder of this company called ReachDesk. ReachDesk uh, do our direct mail platform based out of the UK, but they also have a presence in the US and New York. And I was texting with him and I said, hey, Alex, how's business going? You know, how are things you've been affected at all? He said, I'm actually just in JFK now and I'm trying to get out of, out of the US, you know, before I get deported, basically. <laughs> <laughs> so so and he, I said, yeah, it's a crazy time at the moment. This was, two, this was on the Saturday, Saturday right after the Thursday when Trump closed the borders. And um, he, he said, uh, like we both just sort of said, oh, it's, it's crazy times. Like, should we maybe be doing some content collaboration? He said, oh, let's, let's speak on Monday and organize a webinar. So we organized a webinar and with, with a couple of days, we ju- with a couple of days notice, we managed to get like, uh, I think, seven or 800 p- signups without spending any cash, nothing, you know? Seven or 800 people. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Um, and that was in the space of three days. And then we said, okay, let's just try to roll out another one did another one, 2000 registrations with Aaron Ross, you know, and then it just kept on going and going and going and going and going. So like in the space of six weeks or something like that, we've managed to register over 7,000 people for rev for webinars, um, with spending like $200 and the $200 we spent was like, Hey, let's test out something on Facebook and see if it does anything. And it was fine, but it wasn't. And you know, with that, like they haven't all automatically turned into business, but now what they're starting to do is they're starting to, you know, we started to nurture them as soon as they, as soon as they came out of that webinar, we started sending them to more well, information. You didn't have before. That's 7,000 leads we didn't have before. Of course. <laughs> well, that's perfect. Yeah. You know, and look, there, there, there's always business to be found if, if you look for it. It just might mean working a little bit harder, digging a little deeper, reaching a few more people, but there's opportunities there. You know, I just ran our numbers for uh, May. Uh, our April numbers were almost at our pre-COVID numbers. So that was very encouraging for us for April. And then May, we actually came in a little bit higher than we did in April. There you go. So look, our March was just the pits. It was a yep. really horrible month. I remember coming back from some, some travel in 
you know, late Jan or something and so many engagements, speaking and training were just canceled one right after the other. But we just, as a team, we doubled down. We managed to reconfirm all of those either for later dates or virtual sessions. So we didn't end up losing any revenue from those canceled gigs. So I'm so glad we just got the team to work really hard on that. And then we've just been doubling down, doing a lot of outbound and some great marketing. There's been some inbound that's come in, which is great. We treat every single lead as gold. You know, you know, like you so put, you should. <laughs> yeah, you put everything to it. And look, we just looked at the numbers and 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 already our April and May numbers are almost what our Q1 numbers were for those three months. And we're just starting June. So we're on the way up. So I'm feeling really good. So this is just a lesson. Everyone's just got to double down and just get cracking, man. Fully cool. agree. So we're the same. We're the same. Actually, what you just mentioned it completely mirrors our numbers as well. Cool. So March pits, April growth, slight growth, May, big growth. And June nice. is looking to be looking to be the same again. So like it. it's so it's yeah. possible. It's possible. Yeah, you know? 100%, 100%. And I always tell people, you know, look, in, in any time, good or bad, there's always going to be winners and losers regardless. Yeah. Right? So yeah. some industries are tougher than others. Some are a little bit easier, but there's still going to be losers in the good ones and some winners in the bad ones. You know, you just got to, you know, double down and do the best that you can. Do something. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's I love that, thing. Andy. I think that <laughs> needs to be the, the mantra for this, this episode is, do something. So thank you so much, Andy. It was great having you on the podcast. Where can people get a hold of you? People can get me on LinkedIn. You'll just find me Andy Culligan. So that's C-U-L-L-I-G-A-N. Um, and you can also find more information about Leadfeeder at leadfeeder.com. To let you know a bit more about Leadfeeder, Leadfeeder is a web app that increases your sales intelligence by integrating your sales and marketing data and allows you to see which companies are visiting your website and what pages they visited. Now you can also set up email alerts to be notified when your target company visits your website. And it automatically will update your CRM based on this data. So pretty much, Leadfeeder allows you to know which companies are visiting your website and what content they're viewing. I love it, man. Great. Thank you so much for joining us, Andy, and uh, all the best. Thanks, Tom.